Well, good morning, everybody. Have a seat. My name's David Timms, and uh, I'm delighted to be with you this morning. I was here last summer. I'm a summer fill-in, it seems. And uh, actually, I got to spend time with the uh, men at a men's retreat last fall, which was just a blast. I can still remember the young fellow sitting on the front row and just being so attentive. I thought, wow, this church has got something special when young guys come to a retreat and listen. <laughs> it was really great. So this series, it's a guy thing. What a fascinating series. And uh, each week we've, you've been having a rule or two, and I've been watching them online. And this week it's rule number 52. Let's watch rule number 52 together. <laughs> Just like the knife from Monty Python. You're not really hurt, it's merely a flesh wound. The secret truth is that, believe it or not, men do feel pain. Lots of it. But with each lasting scar, or the stories of countless broken bones and stitches, we can rest assured those injuries didn't hurt near as much as compromising our pride. It's every man's, and especially every dad's, dream to be the hero, to rise above the pain with our head held high. So put on that cape, grin, and bear it. Seem silly, ladies? I know. It's a guy thing. Okay. Well, I don't know how seriously to take those things, but <laughs> we feel pain, that's for sure. Hey, I'm really thrilled that you're doing this series through Samson and uh, honored to be able to have the, the last word in the series. This is week four. Uh, Paul wrote to Timothy a long time ago, he said, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be equipped, prepared for every good work. And the story of Samson is part of all scripture. So I'm really pleased that we've gone back and we've found that, hey, here's a story in the Old Testament the story of a person's life that is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. And it really is one of those stories. But there's something rather tragic about the story of Samson, isn't there? I mean, the story from start to finish is almost a sad story. On the one hand, he is this valiant guy, this warrior uh, leader. He is this deliverer. As you know, we use the word judge, but not in the sense of a, a courtroom judge. He is this extraordinary character whom God gives incredible power to. And the Bible says that he rules for 20 years. So Judges chapter 15 and chapter 16 both tell us that he, he, he ruled, he judged Israel for 20 years. But most of the stories of Samson are less than appealing. And this guy is not a great role model. I'd like to think that he didn't just blunder from one knuckle-headed mistake to another for 20 years. But some of you women are thinking, well, he's a man. <laughs> right? But the stories we have are not great stories at all. As you've heard in the earlier messages... Uh, already he has violated two of the core commitments of his Nazarite vow. He's been around enough alcohol to have broken the vow. He's touched a dead body to, broke, to break the vow as well. He's a guy who for a long period of time, maybe his whole life, has led a double life. He keeps secrets from people who are close to him. He was consumed with lust and demanded a Philistine bride... But that marriage failed quickly. She got given to one of his friends. 
And then the Philistines came in in retribution and they grab her and her dad and burn them both to death. Now, these are great stories, aren't they? These are the sorts of family stories you want to be able to tell. He kills a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. Think about that for a moment. I, I can't begin to get my head around a thousand bodies lying dead on the ground. And you don't kill somebody with a jawbone by whacking them in the arm or the leg. We're talking about gruesome head injuries almost for sure. This guy lives a life of deception, deceit, lies, lust, and violence. And yet his story is preserved for us in Scripture. And now the story writer fast forwards in Judges chapter 16 to the death of Samson. It all seems like a very sorry tale. Fellas, if if Samson is a man's man, we might want to look for a different role model. (laughs) Just wondering. So we come to Judges 16 this morning, almost the final chapter of his story. There is one other place that we'll go to right at the end of the message. And I suspect that Samson would have done well to have heeded the advice that is given to most people who know uh, recovery programs today. Because those who go to recovery programs know that when you're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, H-A-L-T, you should halt before you make any decisions. I suspect that men, we would do well also to know that our weakest moments, our most vulnerable moments are when we are hungry, angry, lonely, and tired. And I don't know if Samson was having one of those moments, but chapter 16 in the book of Judges opens up with these words. One day Samson went to the Philistine town of Gaza and spent the night with a prostitute. What was he thinking? I mean, seriously, he's still cavorting with Philistines, he's still treating women with disrespect. He's not a hero. This guy's a villain. He's not a godly example. He is a self-centered, egotistical, abusive, violent fool. There's nothing to like about this guy. I mean, think about it for just a moment. Which of us dads would proudly say, that's my boy? (laughs) Really? Which of us would look to him and say, that's exactly what I want my son to grow up and be like? A couple of weeks ago, Ron spoke on the three attitudes that led to Samson's downfall, lust, entitlement, and pride. He's exactly right. This morning, I want to take a couple of minutes and add that there were three steps to his downfall, and what he experienced, every one of us in this room potentially might experience as well. Here are three steps to failure. The first is when we take a deliberate step in the wrong direction. We could speculate as to why Samson went down to Gaza that night. Why did he go down there anyway, looking for a prostitute? Maybe he thought that he'd be less recognizable in a town where he didn't live. Guys have thought that for centuries. Guys still think that. Stories abound of men compromised in hotels away from home. Isn't it amazing how the same stories get cycled around generation after generation after generation? 
The first step to failure is to take a deliberate step in the wrong direction. Perhaps Samson thought that he could avoid the consequences of sexual sin as long as she wasn't Jewish and she did consent. (laughs) Maybe in his mind that's how he rationalizes. I don't know what he was thinking, but man, can I say to you this morning, failure always begins with a single night in Gaza. It does. Gaza is a metaphor for just the first step in the wrong direction. A deliberate step. A planned step. That step that has been on your mind for a long time. That step of revenge. That step of dishonesty. That step of lust. That step that just stays there and foments until finally it gives birth to sin. Maybe, maybe Samson thought, hey, not too many people will know me, not too many people will care down there. Nobody will know. Can I remind you this morning that secrecy is the power behind sin? That secrecy is what gives sin its power in our lives. This is why the Bible says things like confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed. There are many of us, men and women alike, who do things in private thinking they are just personal, but they never are. Even things that are done in private shape us so that the relationships we have with other people are impacted. Nothing we do is ever personal. It's simply not. And the power of sin is often found in secrecy. This is why when the Ephesian believers suddenly had their eyes opened and they realized that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God... When they wanted to place their faith in him, the first thing they did was they gathered all of their magic books that they were world-renowned for, and they collected them and they made a bonfire out of these books. They burned them, and the scripture says in Acts that they were disclosing their practices because in the magic arts, secrecy is the power of the spell. You don't speak it because then someone can come along and speak something counter to it. So you, you de-emphasize, you strip the strength away from the spell by declaring it publicly. And that's what the Ephesian believers did. Because they understood that the power of sin is always in secrecy. You see, sin is defined not by who knows, but by what it destroys. That's what sin does. I wish Samson had understood this a little clearer. The Bible says in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, that the wages of sin is death and there are no exceptions. So the first step to failure is often a deliberate step in the wrong direction. Well, after that single twist in Gaza, the the story continues with verse 4 in Judges chapter 16 and It simply says, sometime later, Samson fell in love with a woman named Delilah who lived in the valley of Sorek. I wish we could have Tim Hawkins do every Bible reading for us. That was really good, wasn't it, this morning? Enjoyed his reading of the story. But immediately we see Samson take the second common step toward failure. And that is, he didn't take the enemy seriously. 
Sometimes we don't take the enemy seriously. I don't know how well Samson knew Delilah, um, but it seems he rather misread her character. And as soon as the five Philistine lords knew that that this strong man had a soft spot for one of their girls, <laughs> they went down to her and they said, hey, honey, uh, you know, I'll tell you what, we'll give you 1,100 pieces of silver each if you can learn his secret and subdue him. Five and a half thousand pieces of silver. That is a staggering fortune, more than she would ever see or could possibly make in a lifetime. And I imagine it took her about a nanosecond to decide what to do. (laughs) Sure, you can have him. (laughs) He means nothing to me anyway. So the scripture says that whispering in her ear, isn't that where where bad things always start? (laughs) You know, whispering in the ear. Samson, oh, I just love the sound of your voice in my ear. Just a little more, a little closer. Just tickle me behind here, right? Samson, just, just tell me the secret of your strength. And three times he lied to her. And then we come to these couple of remarkable verses in chapter 16. Verse 10 says, Afterward, Delilah said to him, You've been making fun of me and telling me lies. Now, please tell me how you can be tied up securely. <laughs> Samson Samson is just a, you know, a brick short of a full wheelbarrow here because he's not getting this at all. He is not understanding what's going on. Verse 15, so we don't miss the emphasis of the story, says, Then Delilah pouted. How can you tell me I love you when you don't share your secrets with me? She says to him. Oh, I do love you, Delilah. Well, you don't tell me your secrets. You've made fun of me three times now. You still haven't told me what makes you so strong. Wait a minute. Who's lying to whom? Who is really... Who's really doing the wrong thing here? And she's complaining? Samson should have known from the beginning that this woman was dangerous. Did it ever occur to him to ask, Hey, why do you keep trying to tie me up? (laughs) Why do you want to know what makes me strong? He just never asks the question. He's blind to her manipulation and her destructive intent. I've got to tell you what, It's easy for me to look at uh, Samson and and maybe even mock him a little bit until I realize that I'm the same way. Most of us are the same way. We don't take the enemy seriously. We really don't understand the gravity sometimes of what we're walking into. Frankly, Samson wanted to play with fire and he felt he could do so without getting burned. Don't we all do that? When we don't take the enemy seriously, we set ourselves up for failure. This is as old as Genesis 3 itself. When Satan is talking to Eve in the garden, remember that? If Eve had just said, hey, you you do not have the interests of God at heart, and therefore you don't have my interests at heart, that would have been the end of the story. Oh, what a different world we'd live in. But she didn't take the enemy seriously. Sure, I'll listen to you. What do you got to say? I'll take seriously what you tell me. You you know, I think you're right. I think God is withholding something from us. I think we should have more. I I think you're speaking words of truth. That's exactly what I wanted to hear. Give me that fruit right now. She didn't take the enemy seriously. It's been a chronic 
human condition ever since. And Satan comes to us and he comes with a whisper in the ear and he comes to us just wanting to know the secret of our success, the source of our strength. And we're blind to the fact that he wants to take us down. He wants to just find our weakness, our vulnerability. And we play with fire. Well, there's a third step. If the first is that we take a deliberate step in the wrong direction, the second is we don't take the enemy seriously. The third, perhaps, is simply that we think lightly of the covenant. Samson thought lightly of this commitment he'd made to God. Apparently, he did. We've already seen in this sermon series how he broke uh, two of the three core Nazarite conditions. He'd drunk alcohol. It would seem likely that he had. He'd been around plenty of it. He touched a dead body in the lion. And now he tells Delilah how to break the covenant completely. Hey, cut my hair. <laughs> okay, don't complain. I know I've lied to you three times. I have been having some fun. It's been, it's been really quite delightful to see you get angry like that. <laughs> you're cute when you're angry. <laughs> Fourth time, sure, I'll tell you my secret. Cut my hair off and, and you'll break my vow. And she makes him fall asleep on her lap, as you know the story. And while he's sleeping, and I'm not sure how one sleeps this soundly unless perhaps one has had a little to drink as well, she calls in the barber. And the barber comes in and he shears off the locks. And then in verse 20, she cried out, Samson, the Philistines have come to capture you. And when he woke up, he thought, I'll do as before and shake myself free. And then the scripture says this, but he didn't realize the Lord had left him. Even God said, enough's enough. The Philistines come upon him, they capture him, they bind him, they gouge out his eyes, as ugly as that sounds, and they imprison him. They have a plan for him. You know, it's a real tragedy though. The tragedy isn't that he's weak. The tragedy, of course, is not that now he's blind. The tragedy is that the Lord had left him and he didn't know it. I've seen a lot of men and women, people who've walked closely with Christ and experienced the power of the Holy Spirit in and through their lives, become blinded by sin and not know that the favor of God had lifted from them. We can't treat God casually. The whole book of Leviticus is, is centered around this one statement in Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44. Be holy as I am holy. When we trifle with a holy God, I wonder how we can hope that a holy spirit will empower and transform and shape and use and guide and lead our lives. Is there a sadder state? Now we see Samson at, I think, his lowest point, And some of us perhaps know how he felt. You ever wished you could take something back? Ever wished you could just do it differently? If I could just take those words back, if I could just not go there, if I could do it again, I would do it so differently. Well, I want to say to you this morning a couple of things. One is that failure does not have to be final. 
It is an event, not an identity. That's so important for us to understand. You are not a failure. Oh, you may fail, but that is an experience, it's an event, it is not an identity. And even as the people of God and followers of Jesus, we do fail. Satan is the one who would say to us, hey, you are now a failure. This is now your identity, but failure is never our identity. We have three responses we we typically have to failure. Very quickly, some of us rationalize. First response that I often see is people rationalize. They'll say things like, it wasn't my fault. (laughs) If only you knew how difficult it was. She made me, he made me, someone else made me. I wasn't in my right mind, I wasn't well. We rationalize. I know I crossed a line, I know I stepped out of bounds, but it wasn't really my fault. It's not a biblical response. Second response we often have is simply to express regret. First is we rationalize, the second sometimes is we regret. Oh, I wish I hadn't done that. Oh, I wish it had been different. Wish I hadn't said it. Wish I hadn't hurt them. Wish I hadn't spent that money in that way. Wish it hadn't gone there. I just wish I hadn't done that. And that's not really a biblical response either. Because the biblical response is always the third one, that is repentance. Not to rationalize, not to regret, but to repent. Which is to say, it won't happen again. God willing... And the Holy Spirit empowering, things are going to be different. The Hebrew word for repentance is a word shuv, S-H-U-B or V, however you want to put the, the end of that word. Which just really means to return. In other words, to return back to a healthy place rather than the unhealthy place you find yourself. The Greek word, metanoia, just means to change your mind. It's to say, what was I thinking? I'm going to change my mind. I am not going to do that. I instead choose to do this. Both have to do with completely turning around and looking in a different direction. Well, in that last hour, Samson yielded himself to God. He looked beyond his problem. And in his final moments, he recalled perhaps something of God's promise. I loved a a statement that Ron sent me a few weeks back as he'd been pondering the same story. He said, we can't always undo what we have done, but we can outdo what we have done. I love that. We can't always undo it. You, You don't have a chance. I don't have a chance to go back and undo what I did yesterday. But today offers me an opportunity because the grace and the mercy of God is new every morning. Today is an opportunity to outdo what I did yesterday. Can't undo it, but I can outdo it. And in a brief moment, at the end of 20 years of ruling in Israel, it seems that Samson saw through the clouds and saw this truth. Judges 16 tells us that the lords of the Philistines, these five great lords, gathered with a great crowd in verse 23 to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God. Well, I I suspect, and here I'm speculating just a little bit, I suspect that Samson was going to be that great sacrifice. (laughs) 
My hunch is that they had probably spared his life, saved him simply so they could kill him in the most public way possible. That'd be very normal for the Philistines. After all, everybody probably knew somebody that Samson had killed before. If a thousand of the Philistines have been slaughtered, you can be pretty sure that the families all, all know the name of Samson. And he's been tied up, blinded, and kept in prison for just this day. My hunch is that he is going to be the sport. They're going to bring him in, make fun of him, and kill him in front of the crowd, and make sure that everybody can celebrate the death of this tyrant against this people. And this growing man, this incredible hulk, is led into this Philistine temple area by a boy. He's got to hold the hand of a young boy because he can't see where he's going. And 3,000 Philistines are in the building. They're on the roof, the scripture says. They're in the building as well. They're looking at him in the courtyard and they're laughing. And we read these words in verse 28. Then Samson prayed to the Lord. Sovereign Lord, remember me again. Oh God, please strengthen me just one more time. With one blow, let me pay back the Philistines for the loss of my two eyes. Yes, he prayed. And here's the, the staggering thing to me. I look at the life of Samson and I go, this guy is not a role model, he's a loser. And in this last moment, God listens to the prayer. And grace reaches out to Samson. Samson places his hands between the two giant pillar supports, as you know. He pushes with all his strength. He brings the building down on himself. And he kills the 3,000 Philistines who had gathered that day to watch his death. It's bittersweet, isn't it? God allowed the deliverer to perform one last act of deliverance, but at the cost of his own life. Can I say this morning that God's grace is always greater than our disgrace? No matter what you've done, where you've been, how you've been hurt or how you have hurt others, no matter what your past, no matter what yesterday held, no matter what the background story might be, no matter how much shame or guilt or disgrace you carry in your heart for things of the past, God's grace is greater. And the story of Samson is not just here to teach us a moral lesson, it's here to teach us a spiritual lesson about the grace of God. You see, in the Old Testament, when I finish Judges chapter 16, I'm finished with the story of Samson. But there is another chapter. There is another chapter that gives a glimpse into the last part of his story. And that is in Hebrews chapter 11, in the 32nd verse. Samson, this broken man, makes it into the hall of fame in Hebrews chapter 11. Why? Because of his willingness to turn to God, even in his most humiliating and defeating moment. 
The writer of Hebrews essentially says, I'd like to tell you more stories of faith, but I don't have time to tell you about Samson and others who from weakness were made strong. Friends, there are at least three steps to failure. Some of us perhaps have uh, taken a deliberate step in the wrong direction. Some of us perhaps have taken the enemy all too casually and some of us have been a little too light about our covenants. I wonder if we're on the pathway this morning. There are three responses to our failure. We can we can in some ways try to rationalize what's happened. We can simply regret it or we can say, God, today I want to repent, I want to turn around, I want to start again. And I want to say to each of you this morning that the end of the story of Samson is an end that every one of us can experience in as much as we too can receive the grace of God. Whatever's happened this past week, whatever you've brought with you into this place this morning, a heart heavy, a heart burdened, a heart ashamed, a heart afraid, the grace of God through Christ is for us. I want to invite you to join me in being a people of God who say we will live differently because of the grace of Jesus. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, we thank you for this story of Samson that um, for the last four weeks has been the focus of this church. That for 3,000 years has been a story that's been told and retold. Not to humiliate him more, but to challenge all of us to live differently. And Father, some of us this morning simply come here because we need more than anything else a touch of your grace. We want to live differently. We want to be different people. Would you open our eyes, show us the truth, reveal to us your presence, extend to us your grace change us more into the image of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.